0: invite you to take your copy of God's Word now and turn to 1 Kings chapter 22. You know, we all are looking forward to the day when we don't have to wear a mask anymore. But I want to warn you that that day is going to come and we're not going to be prepared because there are all sorts of things that you and I have been able to get away with while we have our mask on that we're not going to be able to get away with when we don't have our mask like a while ago I just didn't even catch myself I just hauled off and yawned and I thought oh lord if I had this mask off I'd have looked like a fool (laughs) so just keep that in mind They're bad. They find up my glasses. But they're hiding stuff. So uh, be prepared for when the day is done. Would you pray with me? Father, we're thankful today that the shaker tune is true. You are Lord of the dance. And Lord, as we attempt to find how to dance through this world, how to dance faithfully through this world. Lord, I pray that you would enable us to hear your song, to hear your beat, and to dance accordingly. Lord, speak to us through your word now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus beseeches the Father in His high priestly prayer recorded in John 17, 15 for the Father. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Clearly then, Jesus' goal for each of His disciples is for us to be a shining light and a dark light and cold world. Yet each of us would acknowledge that the seduction of the world, that the deceptions of the world are sometimes great. So how do we protect ourselves while living out our faith For if the faithless will ever become faithful, we must be among them exhibiting a faithful witness. It is helpful to know then for our protection some common pitfalls, seductions, and deceptions to guard against. Many of which we see exhibited in this morning's text. First, we should be ever mindful of the seduction to jump first and think second. Look with me at verses one through five. For three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel said to his servants, "Do you know that Ramoth? Gilead, do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us?" And we keep quiet and do not take it out of the hands of the king of Syria. And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth-Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. Jehoshaphat, whom we know from the short biography we find at the end of this chapter is a righteous and godly king, acts first and does not stop to ask any questions. There are no questions to Ahab from Jehoshaphat as to why Ahab is willing to throw away three years of peace with Syria. Jehoshaphat does not enter into any discussion about what it would mean for his kingdom, for Judah, if he joins Ahab in this military exhibition. No, Jehoshaphat commits first giving over his entire kingdom to Ahab. All of his forces he gives to Ahab. And then he says, well, maybe we should ask what God thinks. Beloved, how often is it that you and I jump to impress someone before first considering the cost to ourselves and our weakness? The speed of society has robbed us of the ability or even the inclination to take the time to practice discernment and the cost has been mighty. How often is it that you and I commit ourselves at least mentally and then say, okay God, what do you think about this? Or better yet, God, now that I have made the decision and I haven't consulted you, would you bless it and sanctify it? We must remember, beloved, that trouble arises when we move first without moving in the power and spirit of God. People will die because of Jehoshaphat's jumping first simply to maintain his friendship with Ahab. Secondly, power is a mighty seductress that ensnares even the stoutest of souls. Notice verses 6 through 9. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go to battle against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, but I hate him. For he never prophesied good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah the son of Imlah. Clearly, Jehoshaphat sensed something was wrong with this prophet parade that Ahab brings out. When he asked, whether there was another prophet who could speak to the situation. Something clearly set Jehoshaphat, a kilter, with all these 400 prophets saying, all will be well, don't worry. Ahab's response gives us the impression that these prophets often prophesied to Ahab's advantage. If not, why would he be so incensed that Micaiah is the one who always tells him, no, you can't do it. These other fellows must always be saying, yes. Maybe they thought that if they curried favor with Ahab, they would be able to hold back the forces of Baal with the resurgence of Elijah's ministry after karma. And so they forsook their witness to gain power and influence with Ahab as they allowed themselves to be manipulated and used by him. Ahab didn't care, let's be honest, what happened to these prophets. They were simply pawns in his geopolitical chess match to regain Ramoth Gilead. So what if they looked bad And lost their witness as long as he got what he wanted. Beloved, I wish this was a singular occurrence in history, but sadly it is not. I wish it was a one and done thing where power influences the saints, but it's not. It can be seen in Leo III's crowning of Charlemagne as Holy Roman Emperor in 800, to the political genesis for the birth of the Church of England, to the use of Scripture to legitimize the African slave trade, to the German Christian movement in Nazi Germany. Repeatedly, the people of God with the best of intentions and sometimes not so savory intentions allow themselves to be called in the fallacy of thinking they can advance the goals of the kingdom of God through the halls of government and the glare of pop culture only to fall prey to the seduction of that power rather than choosing to work through the firm reliance on the power of God. Just like many others before and after them, the prophets in our text this morning sold their souls for presumed power and influence. And upon being told of what was going on, the prophet Micaiah sarcastically falls in line as verse 15 records. But Ahab detects his sarcasm And he confronts Micaiah. Look with me at verse 16. But the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing beside him, on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a living, a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. Now, I recognize that the image we have in our minds after reading this text leaves us scratching our heads. It did me. One commentator declared this passage to be the most exegetically troublesome passage in the Old Testament. (laughs) Because the question must be asked. Is God really tempting Ahab to evil? What about James where it says that God does not tempt us to evil? Well, beloved, I think the answer is no. God is not tempting Ahab to evil. Because to tempt would require God to be deceptive. And God is not being deceptive, which is another translation for the word here used as entice. He clearly lets Ahab in on the plan and leaves it to Ahab to determine what he wants to do about it. In other words, he lets what is already in Ahab come out. Ahab will then be the one to choose to sin or not. Ahab's decision to go forward in battle, though he is disguised as a common soldier, verse 30 will tell us, points us to another pitfall. And that is the simple fact that far too often you and I think we can outsmart God. How do we try to outsmart God? Each time we set out to do things our way, we are attempting to outsmart God. Each time we think, for whatever reason, that the counsel of God does not apply to us, as Ahab did, after literally being told what had occurred in the counsel of God. We are attempting to outsmart God. And beloved, you and I have the entire counsel of God contained within the pages of Scripture. We must resign ourselves forthwith to one simple fact we are not smart enough. We are not in control of enough. We are not endowed with enough gifts and abilities to outsmart God. Ahab went through considerable wranglings and machinations to outsmart God, and yet he still died. There's verse 34. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot, facing the Syrians, until at evening he died. Here is Ahab. Knows that God has said, If you go forth into this battle, you will die. Destruction will come. And Ahab says, Surely not. I tell you what. Jehoshaphat, you go dress up like a king. I'm going to dress up like this common soldier over here. And I'm going to outsmart God because they're not going to focus on me because I'm going to look like the rest of one of these fellows. He thinks he's in control. But notice the text. A certain man fires a bow at random. And that arrow happens to find the one place in Ahab's armor that he's not protected. Ahab had done everything to outsmart God. And he forgot that God could take a random guy and in the midst of a battle... Let that random guy shoot this arrow and through whatever prevailing means of gravity and inertia and wind, cause that arrow, in the midst of all these other arrows, to fly to the one spot that Ahab is not protected and it. He could not outsmart God. And the simple fact is, beloved, that we face the same ultimate fate as long as we persist in thinking we know better than God. Finally, let us acknowledge one final pitfall that there will be a considerable deception for us as we live out our faith. And that is the pitfall of thinking that we are the sole purveyors of faith in the world. Notice verse 24. Then Zedekiah, the son of Chinnah, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? Zedekiah is so convinced that he is correct in his prophetic pronouncement that he attacks Micaiah. He exemplifies arrogance and spiritual pride. Micaiah simply says, you'll see if Ahab returns, God did not speak through me. Zedekiah says, God spoke with me for such a party. I'm going to slap you into the middle of next week." Beloved, you and I, through the gift of Scripture, know that Zedekiah was wrong. The problem is that there are plenty of times when you and I are right and still act with the same arrogance and spiritual pride that he did By doing this, we start drawing unnecessary distinctions that divide the body of Christ rather than present a united front. Jesus prayed in another point in the same prayer we referenced in the beginning in John 17 for His people, His church, His bride to be one, to be united and bound together even as He and the Father are one. When we believe we alone hold all spiritual knowledge, when we quibble over theological minutia, when we draw tight boundaries instead of graceful borders, we place ourselves on a pedestal from which our fall will be great, our witness will be deficient, and we will do more to alienate the unfaithful then persuade them of the veracity of our cause, thereby enabling them to become faithful. So how is it today? Are you looking like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers as you delicately dance through living out your faith in a faithless and dying world? Are you allowing yourself to get tripped up by these or other pitfalls? Beloved, if you aren't letting Jesus lead, you are heading for a difficult fall. Liza and I don't go dancing very often. But on occasion, we do. I do a little two-step. I know. I just declared in a Baptist church the Baptist dance. It's okay. From time to time, though, we'll dance. And we have a problem, though. We get in an argument over who's going to lead. The dance floor. And I say to her the same thing. We out there. I say, honey, I got this. I can see everything behind you, I can see things you can't see. And I promise you, I'm not going to lead you into anyone. We're not going to bump into anyone. I'm going to get you through this. know beloved Jesus says the same to us today he says to us let me leave you trust me I won't let anything befall you and guess what even if something bad happens I'm still there and I will redeem it to make it good because all things work together for good to them who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose and so when you trust in him He gets you through. We are called to dance a difficult dance in a lost world. And the only way that we will make it through without falling, without hitting a pitfall along the way, is if we let Jesus guide us. If we Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers said, dance cheek to cheek with Jesus. Terrific ballroom dancers are often termed graceful. May we today allow Jesus to lead us in such a way that our witness to a dying world is termed the same. And thereby, truly, we can dance with the stars. Let's pray. Lord, show us where we aren't letting you lead, where we're heading toward a pitfall, where we're going to crash let us let you take control and steer us across this dance floor that you have called us upon to be a graceful witness to you. Lord, if we're just sitting on the sideline watching everybody else dance, remind us that we are called to dance with you. Take us by the hand and lead us onto the dance floor of this world that we may shine as bright lights for You. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Where has God spoken to you today? Has He shown you maybe a pitfall that you're dancing toward and you need to let Him lead? Maybe it's the fact that you've never found God as Savior. You've never let Him take control of your life and feel His grace. Maybe it's something else. Maybe today God has called you to be part of this dance troupe known as Grove Park Baptist Church. Whatever it is God's spoken to you, I pray you would respond. If you're watching by Facebook, send me an email. msanders at there We can pray with you and 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 help guide you to the decisions that God is calling you to make. Our task is to answer God's call, beloved. So as the quartet comes to sing, will you come?